Hey, good morning. Morning, we're going to dive straight into Romans 14, and hopefully the verses will come on the screen. Just as I was printing stuff out this morning, I noticed some verses twice, so hopefully I've remedied that, otherwise we'll just be on an endless loop on the screen. Uh, but let's start, we're going to go all the way through and then unpick uh, what Romans 14 has to say. So, welcome all the Lord's followers, even those whose faith is weak. Don't criticise them for having beliefs that are different from yours. Some think it is right to eat anything, while those whose faith is weak will only eat vegetables. Now, that doesn't mean vegetarians all have weak faith. So there's a lot of bits here. If we take them out of context, we can get a little stumbly. So uh, just beware of that. But you should not criticise others for eating or not eating. After all, God welcomes everyone. What right do you have to criticise someone else's servants? Only their Lord can decide if they're doing right, and the Lord will make sure that they do. Some of the Lord's followers think one day is more important than another. Others think all days are the same, but each of you should make up your own mind. Any followers who count one day more important than another day, do it to honour the Lord. And any followers who eat meat, give thanks to God, just like the ones who don't eat meat. Whether we live or die, it must be for God rather than ourselves. Whether we live or die, it must be for the Lord. Alive or dead, we still belong to him. This is because Christ died and rose to life so that he would be the Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you criticise other followers of the Lord? Why do you look down on them? The day is coming where God will judge all of us. In the scriptures, God says, I swear by my very life that everyone will kneel down and praise my name. And so each of us must give an account to God for what we do. We must stop judging others. We must also make up our minds not to upset anyone's faith. The Lord Jesus has made it clear to me that God considers all foods fit to eat. But if you think some foods are unfit to eat, then for you, they're not fit. If you are hurting others by the foods you eat, you're not guided by love. Don't let your appetite destroy someone Christ died for. Don't let your right to eat bring shame to Christ. God's kingdom isn't about eating and drinking. It's about pleasing God, about living in peace and about true happiness. All this comes from the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ in this way, you will please God and be respected by people. We should try to live at peace and help each other have a strong faith. Don't let your appetite destroy what God has done. All foods are fit to eat, but it's wrong to cause problems for others by what you eat. It's best not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that causes problems for other followers of the Lord. What you believe about these things should be kept between you and God. You are fortunate if your actions don't make you have doubts. But if you do have doubts about what you eat, you're going against your beliefs. And you know that is wrong because anything you do against your beliefs is sin. And breathe. So Paul is getting to a very dis specific dispute and squabble that the readers of this letter would be going, oh, I'm probably on one side or another of that debate. And it's on a very important topic, one that is very close to my heart. Mainly it's about food. Who likes food? So straight away, there's going to be things you like to eat that I don't. And things you eat, I'm like, what on earth? You eat tripe? 
Oh, I didn't expect there to be like an altar call, like, yes, yes, I do. But there's some things that probably when you see people eat them, or even worse, if they serve you at your house, their house, you're like, oh, goodness. When they said, is there anything you don't eat? I forgot to say that. You know what I mean? And so there's all things that we have differences of what we think about. But here, firstly, it's important to get, this isn't just about your dietary requirements or what you like to eat. This is about here, what people believed they could eat and couldn't eat. And the other thing that's really important to get, it's not just a one-off topic. He tags at the end, near the end of his letter, just like, oh, while I'm at it, I'll have a look at this. In simple terms, remember, chapters 1 to 5 talk about the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Romans 6 to 8, look at how this gospel works out in a Christian's life. And in 9 to 10, 11, we look at this links in with the history of Jews that they would have found in the Old Testament. Then where we are here in 12 to 16, he's looking at these specific issues to give advice on. But as he was writing to the church of Jewish and non-Jewish converts to the Christian faith, he didn't want them to understand the gospel. He wanted them to love Jesus and live out their faith. Not just to have their minds change, but their hearts change, leading to real changes in behaviour. So Paul here is looking at this case of food and holy days and other issues to look at well, how are they actually dealing with this newfound faith? But how does all the things that he's already said in Romans relate to this? And in my Bible, it has two headings for this chapter. The first one, don't criticise others, going up to number 12, uh, to verse 12. And then onwards from verse 13, don't cause problems for others. And I'll repeat something I said when we're looking at chapter 5. Paul is constructing this argument for the people in Rome about what the gospel is about. And he's talking to groups of people who believe their particular way of understanding God is the only way to be right with God. They believed, in Romans 5, remember when we did that, ages ago it seems, that circumcision, which was a ritual performed on all baby boys, was a mark of God's favour. They also believed that their dietary laws set them above all people as better than everyone else, as God's only and chosen people. And there was this quite sort of hard-set thing of either you're in or you're out. And they were in, they were the in crowd, everyone else was out. And they would even boast about this. God loves us, too bad for you, yeah boo, you suck. And Paul is arguing against this type of thinking. Now, William Reed writes about this, and he writes about chapter 14, and I quite like this little uh, subtitle he uses, cut everyone a little slack. So maybe we can think about how we can cut everyone a little slack. So firstly, accept the one whose faith is weak in chapters 1 to 4. Now, in different Bibles, when it's talking about the disagreements they have, it can say different things, so contentious matters. Quite often it says disputes or disputed matters. And with this, it makes me think of Judge Judy or Judge Rinder, you know, where you have people going, oh no, we don't watch that. 
A, we're too holy, or B, we work, or we only have the BBC button on our telly. There's different reasons, but with that, there's different disputes. So with these disputed matters, what's important to get is that what Paul is saying is, with some of these, it isn't saying everything is up for grabs. What would be really helpful is some, if Paul here had gone, right, I'm now going to list a list of things, like he's talked a few things, but here are the things that aren't disputed. You must stick to these. And here are the things that, well, actually, different people have different views on. If he'd done a massive list of that, probably taken another 200, 300 pages of the Bible to do that, that would be quite useful. Because sometimes this chapter can be used as a bit of, I can do what I like, Gov, but that's not what he's actually saying. But here we've got different people who converted to Christianity. Some were quite experienced in their faith. We had some coming, remember, from the Jewish faith. Others were Gentiles, non-Jews. And for some, food had been unclean, and Gentiles didn't really have any restrictions. And depending on what people then believed about food, and remember the apostles and the disciples had gone through themselves a bit of a thing of... Uh, going well. Actually, things that we thought were unclean, even taking the message to the Gentiles, then they were talked about. Remember Peter and that dream with the great blanket of animals and him going, well, I can't eat those things and then being talked to about that by God. So they were being talked through about what they believed and then what God was saying there. So, and what we do have as well is older people or people who maybe had had the faith a bit longer were looking down on the least experienced. And in the disputes in chapter 14, we have in one, in the red corner, if I was doing my big sort of uh, boxing announcement, in the red corner, one person or group who was convinced the other was sinning. And then in the blue corner, we have the other person accusing the other of being narrow-minded and judging. But which view is better? There's only one way to find out. Fight! Again, if you've only got BBC on your telly, you won't know what we mean there. Paul calls some believers weak. Now, that's not straight away going, ha, you're the wrong ones. He's not saying they're bad or unsaved. And remember as well, he's talking about believers here. And he's saying maybe they've lost focus a bit of what the gospel is. They may be weak because they don't know the fullness of the gospel, which Paul has then been explaining for them in previous chapters. So again, if people just take this on its own, without all the context of faith, of sin, of the release from sin that Jesus is saying, about all those things there that Paul is unpacking, then there is going to be a bit of an issue. So here, Paul is saying how we treat people who may seem weaker in faith is really important. And this continues in verses 5 to 9 about looking about accepting matters of conscience. So here we've got some of the Lord's followers think one day is more important than another. Others think all days are the same. But each of you should make up your own mind. Any followers who count one day more important than another day, do it to honour the Lord. And any followers who eat meat, give thanks to God, just like the ones who don't eat meat. And we won't go into all the different reasons of these. And again, different sides had different reasons why they thought that. But here, it's really important to get that 
Um, what we're not saying is accept matters of conscience. So anything you want to believe, as long as you say, this is my conscience. That isn't what Paul's saying here. But what he is doing is looking at these particular issues here and going, we've got some things here that there is a bit of dispute on. The story is told about a Catholic priest who was walking down an alley behind his church when a thief jumped out behind some garbage cans and pressed the muzzle of his gun into the priest's ribs. The thief said, give me your wallet. Without hesitation, the priest went and reached for his wallet in the pocket of his coat. It was when, then where the thief got a glimpse of his dog collar. Are you a priest? The thief asked. Yes, I am, said the priest. Well, put your wallet back, the thief said. I don't rob priests. I'm Catholic too. <laughs> At that point, the relieved Catholic priest pulled out, it was very shaken up. So he pulled out two cigars and offered one to the thief. The repentant thief responded, What? I can't do that. Smoking's wrong and I can't believe you do such an evil thing. Sometimes, oh, thank you. Sometimes people have convictions about certain things, but fail to de deal with the things that are really important in life. Who you are and what you believe is important. And that comes from what's influenced you in life. And especially if you've gone to church for many years, sometimes what you've believed there or what's been said there could be that influences you. So I could be preaching here and I could be saying, every Sunday I eat a pineapple. I don't, but I could say that. And you'd be like, oh, that, that sounds... And then we have a hundred or so people who go, oh... Phil eats a pineapple every Sunday and then you start doing that and then you're convinced when you go to another church that you don't eat a pineapple on Sunday because that's the tradition that you've gone through. Some people are going, that is a good tradition, Phil. We might start that. But with it, we get influenced by where we are. And sometimes people develop, as we had with the priest, is what is their own version of right or wrong? And to others, it doesn't make sense. For example, my mother used to be very keen to be part of the Keep Sunday special campaign. You know, before big shops were open, to open on a Sunday, and she used to write letters about this, very, very important to her. However, she always brought my dad his paper on a Sunday from the local news agents. So again, for her, she'd sort of developed what works for her. And sometimes our faith can be what we've experienced, what our preferences are, what we like, what we're comfortable with, what songs we like, what readings we like from the Bible. We almost can create our own, this is our personal faith, just on based on who we are. One of the things I've said is, if I was to do my own church, and you know a lot of churches now are changing their names. So you have like Upper Border Methodist Church is now like Funky Living Church. They've sort of changed their name. Well, mine would be Over in an Hour Church. You know what I mean? No longer than 60 minutes. Because for me, that's a preference. Now, is that anything from the Bible? Is that anything about what God said? No, it's just because I get quite distracted. So, but that is just a preference. So what we've got to be very clear about is what we don't do is just become what we like or what tradition has shaped us as rather than what God actually wants for our lives. Verse 7 says, Whether we live or die, it must be for God rather than ourselves 
must be for the Lord. Alive or dead, we still belong to the Lord. This is because Christ died and rose to life so that he would be the Lord of the dead and of the living. So this then leads into accepting accountability to God. Remember when I said about the context earlier, it's important to see these verses in context of the whole Bible and not just as one-offs. Unfortunately, I've seen and experienced Christians using these chapters as I can do whatever I want to. God loves me, get off my back. And if we're not careful, we can become almost misinterpreting this and becoming like what happens in the book of Judges. And there's a bit of a repeated phrase in the book of Judges where it says, in those days, Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. If we don't have Jesus as king of our life and are guided by him and his word, we can easily descend into just doing our own thing. And also we can discount much scripture, including that of Paul's teaching, if we try and take these verses as, just do what you want, kids. And this is something actually throughout Paul's wider writing he tried to tackle. And remember in verses such as chapters such as Galatians 5, it shows, for example, the difference of the fruit of our own nature and doing what we want of our sinful nature compared to the fruit of living, the spirit of living in God. And a story that nicely shows the different approaches looked at in, um, in this chapter in Romans 14 is the story of a Pharisee and a tax collector so let's have a quick look at that in Luke 18. Jesus told a story to some people who thought they were better than others and who looked down on everyone else. So we've got that, don't we, in Romans 14. We've got people who are looking down on others. You can't be a proper Christian here. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood over by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not greedy, dishonest and unfaithful in marriage like other people. Hope none of your prayers sort of start like that. And I'm really glad that I'm not like that tax collector over there. I go without eating for two days a week and I give you one-tenth of all I earned. Now, you did wonder whether the tax collector sort of there go, was talking about me, but it does say stood off at a distance and he did not think he was good enough to even look up towards heaven. He was so sorry for what he had done that he pounded his chest and prayed, God, have pity on me. I am such a sinner. Then Jesus said, when the two men went home, it was the tax collector and not the Pharisee who is pleasing to God. If you put yourself above others, you'll be put down. But if you humble yourself, you'll be honoured. You could say here in this story that both were connected with God in appearances, but we can see that very different accountability structures with God. One was about themselves and making sure that they are better than others. And the other was about tuning into the heartbeat of God, having Jesus as king, not just doing what was seen in their own, in their own eyes. Then accepting responsibility for the well-being of others. Looking at verses 13 to 21. At school, one of my favourite races was the obstacle race. Yeah, we like the, the obstacle race. Now, others, I, I wasn't really fast in a 50-metre or a 100-metre fast sprint. But I know you won't look at it me now and think this, but then I was quite wiry. 
And I was able to negotiate obstacles quite easily, as long as I didn't have my big NHS glasses on that were an obstacle in themselves. You know what I mean? It'd be like, if I take these off, I'm suddenly like half a stone lighter. Um, now, in verse 13, it says about not putting an obstacle or stumbling block in the way of a believer. So how can we support others? How can we help them, pray for them, and guide them? As in Romans 14, there will be Christians we come into contact who we have made the wrong idea about faith or have different opinions and views. Paul talks about not doing things that are going to cause others to stumble. And as I said, not saying like the do-what-you-want-kids approach. It gets us to think about what we do do and how it might cause others to think and feel. So even though he's stressed the importance of not judging, he's also saying, don't just do what you want thoughtlessly without considering the needs of others. For, for example, I love McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, oh, yes. So I like McDonald's, and for me, Big Mac has bread. It does, doesn't it? It has bread in it. And you can also buy Robinson's fruit shoot from McDonald's. That's like sort of fruit juice. So I could easily think bringing that into church for communion, well, that's good for me. But what about others? What about those who the smell of it distracts them? Maybe as lettuce is pouring out of my mouth and they're like, what's going on here? So there are two sides of this as well, thinking about others too. Now, this isn't a cunning way, because some of you are quite cunning, we know. This isn't a cunning way of winning the argument. Because what you can do, say, for example, if I was popping something out, just totally out of the sky, just say, for example, I didn't like or wasn't that keen on having lots of fairy lights at Christmas on the stage or Easter. I'm just popping an issue out. I don't know why a few people who go to creative team meetings are laughing. But if I was cunning, I could use this verse, couldn't I? It was cunning. Because what I could say is, well... By, we're in a bit of a dispute. Some people like them, some people don't. I can win this argument by going, yes, but by putting fairy lights on, you will cause me to stumble. <laughs> and I've won the argument. Yes, bear that in mind. No, what we're not doing is using like little loopholes to uh, think about getting your own way. What it's about doing is thinking about others, thinking about what God is speaking to you about, and also thinking about those other people, not getting them to stumble, not putting obstacles, not putting extra things that are going to weigh people down, but also not causing other people to stumble by the way you behave and things that you think about. And remember, it's about, again, the Lord guiding and going that Jesus is king of your heart rather than you just winning on preferences and things that you like because of tradition. So as we close, we might not argue about the big topics of the day, like eating meat, drinking wine and celebrating holidays. But what are the things of difference today? As you think about that, we're not, I'm not going to tell you a list of those, but how should we handle them? And what attitude should we have towards Christians we dif differ with? My friends who live in America always send me my Christmas gift from them the second week of December, which is really useful because it gives me time to remember to send them something. And usually they buy me a rather dashing-looking Christmas tie, 
or some garish socks. But two years ago, they bought me a book, and it, was, it came through the post, and it was quite a weighty tome. And it was by an American author called Bob Goff, who they described to me as the most jolly Christian they knew, which immediately I got quite offended by. But this book is called Living Grace, Walk in Love, 10.99 on Amazon, 9.99 on Kindle. And it's a 365 day of short thoughts getting you to think about how can you live in the grace of God today and show love. And for me, it's been really helpful. Helpful to focus me at the beginning of the day and cut through the cloud and fog of business or whatever issue is confronting me and realising who I am in Christ and it reminded me in Matthew 22, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So again, these are quite legalistic people. You have to do it this way. One of them, an expert of the law, tested him with this question. Teacher? And I have to do quite a creepy voice for this one because I think he was trying to be a great creepy. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, I'm not going to do a voice for Jesus, don't worry. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Throughout the Bible, there are things where correction may be needed. And as we said, there are bits where leaders and there's... Lots in the Bible where it says how you deal with certain conflicts or certain times where people are in error. But is that done in a loving way or a judgmental way? Remember about loving God and loving others. When we cut off either or both of those, so we cut off the loving others or cut off the love God from our practice, those are the things that when we can struggle and cause others to struggle. There was a song that probably growing up I weren't that keen on, but now it really sort of sums up, uh, and I get it in my head quite a bit when I'm thinking about certain things, and it says, let there be love shared among us, let there be love in our eyes, may now your love sweep this nation, cause us, O Lord, to arise, give us a fresh understanding of brotherly love that is real, let there be love shared among us, let there be love. If the band could come up, as we just think about what we've read, there are people here who maybe you'd say, well, I'm young in my faith, I'm weak in my faith, maybe there are things I'm not sure of. Well, you have an amazing opportunity to grow in the faith, in the love of God, to find out what God is saying to you. And remember, other Christians can have an amazing part to play in that, as well as you reading your Bible, finding out more, and loads of other things can help you with that. Maybe you're here and you go, well, to be honest, I don't know anything about love. I don't know anything about God's love. Well, just what we've looked at in the last few weeks, looking at Romans, is a God who loved us so much that died for our sins, that whatever you've done, said, or thought wrong, that's hurt God and hurt other people, he died for that to get rid of those guilt, those feelings. So maybe for you, you need to think, well, how do I find more about that and find out more about that God who loves me? There are also people here who haven't realised that they can be amazing parents in the faith, brothers and sisters in Christ, getting alongside those who need help and support from a loving and non-judgmental point. 
There are also folk who've done this for years and just need that well done, good and faithful servant. Just keep going. But whoever you are, whatever your sort of thing you go, oh, I can hang my hat on that today, or maybe, well, I don't even think any of those are for me. Well, what you need to think about is how can you love God and love others in what you do when you're working around believers, working in your communities? How can we do that? Let's stand and pray. Father God, we thank you for your love. Help us be people who love you with all our hearts. And then that love oozes into the world around us. Help us treat those around us with love and respect so that they can see you and your love for them. Amen.